Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today's episode is titled, Talking to a Gamer Family, Saving the Universe. And our gamer guests are gamer girls, Anna, Ellie, Rebecca, and their parents, Aaron and Steve. In our pop culture segment, we'll talk about Wreck-It Ralph, a new film by Walt Disney Animation Studios. We'll also share your responses to this week's Twitter question. What's your favorite way to apply game strategies to your out-of-game life? So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. This November, Disney will release the film Wreck-It Ralph, a 3D animation about an 8-bit arcade anti-hero named Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph is tired of being the bad guy, so he leaves his game and joins a brand new FPS in the arcade with a plan to win a medal and become a beloved hero. Regina, do you think this game is going to have a wide appeal or is it going to just ring true for gamers? I think it's going to have a pretty, a pretty wide, a pretty mass appeal. Um, from from what the um, what the trailer looks like, which you can you can see on the Wreck It Ralph website through Disney or on IMDb, um, you, you can see how sort of delightfully playful it is. It's sort of uh, taking and poking fun at a lot of different things at the same time, not just gaming and sort of game structures, but our ideas about heroes and bad guys as yeah. well, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, they've got some... It, the way a lot of animation studios do it, which is um, almost become part of the requirement for good animation is to include the adults in on the jokes. Exactly. Yeah. Because the parents are the ones bringing the kids to the, the films right. and to create a better stir. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge animation fan and I have no children to take to these films, but the, um, the appeal and the well, the way they're written and the, the beauty and the art. Yeah. Um, it, it's a very, it's, it's very well done. And that's the, the way this film looks. Yeah. It, it looks like, I mean, it's going to have the nostalgia appeal for, uh, for the parents in terms of those of us who grew up, you know, going to the arcade and, you know, slapping the quarters down on you know, <laughs> the machine and yeah. playing as long as you possibly could. It's going to have that appeal for, for, for us, for that generation. Um, but it's also, so, you know, it's also got a hero and it's also got kids who are playing the games and and it and I love well, you know, one of the scenes in the trailer is sort of this support group of, of bad guy, you know yeah. um, <laughs> um, <laughs> heroes, uh game uh bad guys, um, you know, including a zombie and one of the ghosts from Pac Man and you know, all these different all these different bad guys that we've all encountered in our in our some of our favorite um classic games um and i i love that idea that you know here are all these bad guys you know you know lamenting the fact (laughs) that they're the bad guys you know (laughs) well that they're not loved exactly exactly that you know that oh you know everybody makes it so hard for ralph to do his job and you know oh i've been doing this for 30 years and i don't really want to be doing this anymore and yeah sort of taking that idea of 
you know, all of us have those days where we feel like, oh my goodness, I'm doing the same job over and over again. I'm doing this again. You know, here's the same thing. You know, so how would it feel if you were, you know, the donkey from Donkey Kong? (laughs) All you did was throw barrels all day to these people who are constantly like jumping over them and breaking them up and, you know, making all your hard work pointless. (laughs) In a way, it's, it's almost curious that but on the basis of the game, the, the film, which is an arcade game, mm-hmm. which arcade games are not popular like they used to be. Right. I mean, you still find them in the pizza joints and stuff like that, right. but yeah. they don't have the um, the crowds and the, the cult that they had right. in the 80s and They're 90s. Not the same kind of following that they had then. Yeah. yeah. So it's surprising that that is the premise mm-hmm of the animation and that the there are the cameo appearances in the film and references to well-known gaming characters are all from the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. so you're talking about 30 years of gaming here right but i think that i think the way that they can cross over is because gaming has Number one becomes so mainstream, mm-hmm. and it's just animation. I mean, right. you sit and watch a a, a game today right. on a console or on the computer. It's got better graphics than some cartoons on Saturday morning. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that you know that the time and effort that's put into the graphics and the way things are designed in games is, you know it's significant and, and it's important and it's, you know, and it's valuable because you want to go into a game and, and you want it to, to be pretty and engaging. That was one of the reasons why when I started doing the research and I had been playing World of Warcraft and someone in my PhD program was like, oh, you should check out Second Life, you know, because it's, you know, a more open, more sandbox environment where people are doing all kinds of different things, you know, in the game world. And I went in and I, I couldn't engage in it because it, it wasn't pretty enough, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was just seriously the 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 look of it didn't didn't grab me, and I had come from you know World of Warcraft kind of has a cartoon fantasy feel to it, but it's it's stunning you know and you and it's got you know three hundred and sixty degrees you can turn the camera up and look at the top of the mm, trees when you're nice. underneath them and when you're flying you can you know turn your your camera view so you can see you know three hundred and sixty degree view from where you're flying, and you know to go from that to what Second Life was I was like oh why would somebody want to spend time here <laughs> yeah. doesn't have that same kind of appeal and I think that that's part of what they're going to play with um, Wreck-It Ralph as well because you know he's he's an 8-bit game that's still being played which which um, you know for some of us who are you know Miss Pac-Man fans or whatever you know <laughs> Q-Bird or Tetris or whatever it was that you played way back in the day you know those games still have great appeal and he tries to go into a modern first-person shooter game. And it's like, oh, my God, when did games get so violent? And, and so it kind of has that underlying sort of commentary of, oh, these games are still valuable. These games that, you know, yeah. are maybe less sophisticated than some of the mechanisms we have in gaming now. But they, they're still engaging and valuable and people are still playing them to, oh, when did this get, when did this become what gaming was about? So I yeah. thought that was a really interesting sort of addition into that, you know, sort of a little sly social commentary going on there. Yeah, there was even, a, I read some some trivia today about the game that there was actually a decision made that Wreck-It Ralph is introduced. He's, like you said, an 8-bit character. And whether or not to keep him an 8-bit character mm-hmm. throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm glad that they changed that. Yeah. I think that it probably became obvious to them pretty quickly. But yeah. once he starts hopping to the other games, he takes on the uh, programming of those games. Right. And I think that filter being applied is is really good. And also making him more three-dimensional, I think, like they said, they needed him to be appealing. Exactly. You know? Yeah, he still had to have that same that same polish that we're used to from our animated our animated movies now that that same look and and i think that that's nice because then that that gives depth to the 8-bit game it's like so okay so all you're seeing when you're playing the 8-bit is that you know that two-dimensional vision but behind it there's this fully rounded character yeah which you know i thought it gave a nice kind of depth that and i love stories that take like the bad guy and make them uh. a hero <laughs> It gives him a voice. Yes, exactly. You know, it takes that, that, you know, the, the character that you're just like, oh, he's the bad guy and we need to beat on him, you know, and, and actually sort of rounds them out because, you know, the best, the best dramas, the best movies always have, you know, bad guys, quote unquote, that, that have those, the, that kind of depth. And so it's giving, giving that character that depth. So I'm, I'm really well, looking forward to this movie, if you couldn't tell. Yeah. Oh, I am, too. I am, too. When yeah. I first saw it, I just I was very excited. And it's got um, a, a great voice cast. Um, it's just wonderful. Of course, um, John C. Riley, but also Alan Tudyk and Sarah Silverman and um, McBrayer. Yes, Jack McBrayer from 30 Rock. Um, just some really bo- yeah. wonderful voice work. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, I think people overlook exactly how important it is to have those those good voice actors in these things. It really yeah. does help give the depth to to the characters. Well, Wreck It Ralph is in wide release in the U.S. November second of this year, and you can see the trailer right now on the Internet Movie Database. Uh, we appreciate any of your feedback. You can leave your comments at GameOnGirl.com or through Twitter at Game underscore on underscore girl or search for us on Facebook, Game on Girl Podcast. The new sincerity, the secret vocabulary. You're listening to Game on Girl. I'm Regina here with my co-host Rhonda. Later in the show, we're going to share your responses to this week's Twitter question. But for now, let me introduce our guests for today's show. We've got a family of gamers we're talking to today. And first, we're going to interview uh, the three daughters. So three gamer girls that we're very excited to talk to today. We have Anna, Ellie, and Rebecca. And later on in the show, we'll have their parents, Steve and Aaron, on. So let me, let me talk to each of the girls one at a time. So let's start with Anna. So how old are you? Um, I'm eight years old. Excellent. Eight years old. Anna and Ellie? I'm 12 years old. 12 years old. All right. And Rebecca? I'm going to be 14 in less than a week. Fantastic. Happy early birthday to you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys are here today. So I yeah, thought, thanks for joining yeah, us. Yeah, we're, 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 we're expanding, and, and you guys are marking that, so thank you. <laughs> really excited to be on, the sh- on your show, too. Great. So I want to start off with asking you guys uh, what your favorite, what your favorite game is that you play. So uh, let's start with Anna. What's your favorite game? I actually don't really have a favorite. Oh, really? Do you have a lot that you like or a lot of different kinds that you like to play? Yeah, I do. Which ones? I like Mario Galaxy, New Super Mario, um, and also I have board games. I have... Um, Clue, and I'm trying to think of 
the name. Oh yeah, chess. Oh, nice. You play chess? Really? That's fantastic. Board games are really, really popular again, so that's really cool that you're still playing board games. Definitely. And I suck What about chess, you, so. Ellie? Um, oh, you asked me the hard question. <laughs> For that's video fun. games, I think it's Little Big Planet. Nice. And board games, I like Monopoly. Uh-huh. And what about you, Rebecca? Oh, it depends on what I happen to be playing a lot of. But all around, I'd have to say that Ratchet and Clank, the series in general, is mm-hmm. one of my uh, video games. But for board games and card games, I'd say for card games, probably the game Sleeping Queens. And for board games, it would have to be between um, Monopoly and Clue. Cool. Yeah, Ratchet and Clank's a good series, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Clue something you guys play together? Yes, Anna beats me every time. <laughs> oh! <laughs> That's fantastic. Is that one of the reasons why it's one of your favorite, Anna? Yeah. <laughs> I loved Clue. I, I, we had a video Clue uh, when I was growing up that you actually watched Clues on, um, on VHS, dating myself here, before DVDs. But you could actually watch like some of the scenes of what was happening. That was pretty cool. No, that's cool. Yeah, was Ours cool. is just version two. Cool. They like mastered it, so we have the new version. Oh. Oh, I might need to check out Clue again. It's been a long time since I played Clue. Very fun. There's this thing with the clock. The thing with the clock. There's a thing with the clock, and there are these cards. And when there are 12 clock cards, the person who puts in the 12th gets knocked out of the game. They get murdered. Oh. Goodness. Wow, so people who are actually playing it can get murdered? Yep. Wow, that's kind of cool, actually. (laughs) Thankfully, we have never gotten murdered yet. Well, what about um, the types of games that you like to play? What it, What is it, Rebecca, that you like about gaming in general? Well, I actually like the fact that you get to sort of get to know other people better by what kind of games they like to play or just having fun with them. But oh. it's also fun that you can plan your own now. Would you have a preference one way or the other? Would you prefer playing with a group? It depends. It depends on the group. Yeah. Does what about you, Ellie? What kind of uh, game? What do you like about gaming? Um. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you like gaming. <laughs> I do. Yes. Do you like the um, computer games better or the board games? Mostly computer games. Um, do you know why? I think it's because it's more interactive and a whole lot more variety. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a very good way of describing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's and a lot of different And you're the one that liked Little Big Planet, right? Yep, that is my absolute favorite game. I'm sorry, Regina, what were you going to say? Oh, that there's just a lot of different places you can go in video games, and, and board games have some adventure in them, but maybe not as much as video games do. And what was the game that uh, you said you like to play, Anna? The computer game. I forgot what you said. Mario Galaxy? Mario Galaxy. It's actually yeah. a Wii game. Yeah, yeah. What do you like about that game? Well, there's a whole bunch of different worlds, and um, you have to fight lots of um, things also. It's really cool. 
Do you like the um, the, the graphics? Is is it got cool graphics and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. What kinds of things do you find in the game? Sometimes, um, well, the first level, I think, you're playing hide and go seek with like little bunnies. And stuff. <laughs> cool. And, um, you find tons of stars and um, pipes and stuff. Cool. Now, I've played a few Mario games myself. Now, Mario Galaxy, do you guys get to play that together, or is that just an individual game? All cousins have it, so I usually play a lot with them when I'm there. Okay. They have a Wii, and also my grandparents have a Wii, too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Got a Nintendo family. Well, we break the tradition. We have a PlayStation. Oh, I see. So we have a little bit of uh, competition going on in here. (laughs) Little console competition. And Little Big Planet is only a PlayStation game. Oh, I see. PlayStation's the only console. Well, I have an old PlayStation, a PlayStation 2, so I don't know Little Big Planet, but maybe I'll have to check it out. Maybe. So do you guys have uh, cooperative games that you play? I'm gathering because you play Clue together, and Ellie and Rebecca both said you liked Monopoly. So I'm guessing board games are generally a family, kind of a family affair, something you guys do together? Yes. Yes. Now, are there any uh, collaborative games you play on your your PlayStation where you guys play together? Um, Yeah, but... You can play Little Big Planet with four players. I keep going on about Little Big Planet. Um, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> the we have Mod Nation Racers, which you have. You can have up to four players. Uh, we play Ratchet and Clank together as a family. Like when we first got it, we took turns playing it. And um, we have another game called Black Ops, and you can do up to four players. Okay. Nice. So you guys watch each other play? Yes, we also take time take uh, take turns playing. If it's a one player game, we'll take turns playing. It will rotate out. So do you do you kind of learn from each other when you watch the other ones play? You learn how to do certain things, such as if it's more of a um, thinking game, you can learn how to do those. But when it comes to reflexes and stuff like that, you. You can't really um, learn from somebody else. Yeah, everybody's kind of on their own. Yes. Do you have sometimes where, um, at least we used to do this when I was a kid, where, where one person would be really good at a specific level or a specific type of level, and so we always had them play that level? <laughs> oh my goodness, we do have that. <laughs> so tell me about that. <laughs> Rebecca's really good at the levels where you slide on the... The rails. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you can't I'm, not, I'm not sure what I'm good at. <laughs> she remembers where everything is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. That's that's kind of the kind of uh, the role I play sometimes. Uh. And also, I'm very good at um, jumping and also finding secret passages and stuff. Ooh, yeah. Cool. Well, with all those skills, you guys round each other out really well. It helps a lot when, when our dad comes in. He is, like, our intellectual one. He does all the thinking levels. Uh, 
Oh, y- y'all are a powerhouse team then. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have mom, who is our cheerleader. <laughs> Everybody needs a cheerleader, and every team needs a cheerleader. So, when we, um, if we talk, talk a little bit um, more generally, um, outside of necessarily the games that you own. Um, Rebecca, what do you think about the types of games and, and books and toys and, and just general entertainment, I guess, that are available for girls your age? Well, most most of the um, games and stuff, well, books at least, that you find are more targeted. Well, they're targeted for really everybody. I mean, they they don't really have boy and girl books. They're more just you can read one and like it and read the other one and not like it. But there's not really like Babysitter's Club or anything like that that's really girly. Oh, okay. When it comes to games, um, some games I really like, and I know some boys like games that at first they're like, ew, no, I don't want to play that game. But um, you don't really find a lot of really early games for girls my age for video in video game terms and such and stuff like that and so how would you describe a really girly game oh I have a game called style savvy if you've ever heard of that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that one is definitely very girly can you tell us a little bit about that game what you do in it Oh, sure. Uh, you're a boutique owner. You can buy certain brands that you um, really like, such as there's Sonata, which is based off of the band, brand Sonoma. Um, there's a punk brand, an Asian brand. You just choose what sort of clothes you want to sell in your shop, and you can enter in, um, comp- uh, in uh, fashion competitions. Uh, you can change the way your hair looks. You can put on makeup. So it's very, very girly. Right. Those are a lot of uh, sort of classic girl-defined things. True, but it's also very interactive because um, the people who come into your shop always have different things that they want. And there are mm-hmm. it's a huge variety. There are at least 100, 200 customers that you can have in your shop. all depends on what they like and what you're selling. Do you like um, having a game where you can make that many choices? Yes, I do. Well, now you mentioned that there are some games that boys will look at and say, ooh, I don't want to play that. What what kind of games, um, do you have any examples or just even the types of games or what kind of games boys react to like that? Uh, yes. Uh, they're, okay, uh, at the beginning of the interview, I said that one of my favorite card games as Sleeping Queens. Uh-huh. Uh, it sounds very girly, but it's actually really not. So a lot of boys that I've known that we've had to pressure into playing have yeah. really been, you know, we don't want to play that sort of thing. But they really like it after they play it. Does it look very girly? It's just got a picture of a Sleeping Queen on it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Although I think it's the Heart Queen, so it kind of makes sense that... Oh yeah, yeah. That that does make sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's the same question for you, Ellie. I, you've you've had a little time to think about it. What do you think of the games and 
and books and toys that are made for girls your age? Well, I don't really feel like there are any games and toys that are targeted for my age exactly. It's either for younger or for older. Oh, Hmm. okay. Okay. What types of toys do you like to play with right now? Um, I like to play with Legos. Oh, cool. What do you like about Legos? Toys, but the Legos that are made for girls are like ice cream shops and veg places. Oh, really? I didn't even know they made Legos just for girls. They do, and it's really lame. (laughs) Really? Well, which one of the Legos do you like? I like the boy, like the Legos that are more targeted for boys, like the Lego agents and um, the Ninjago. And who is Ninjago? Yeah. It's these four ninjas, and they fight off all these skeleton people and when they spin they have this cool thing called spinjitsu and they make this tornado cool cool i want to be able to do that and so what do you like about uh ninjato more than you like about the ice cream shop the girls legos you can only build like one thing because it's like hot pink purple and very specific legos to the sets Hmm. So there's not a lot of flexibility in what's included in the girl Legos. Yeah, it's uh, like you build what we show you. Right. It's pre-built anyway. So you don't have very many choices even. Right. You don't get to make any good decisions or, or anything or be creative. Not really, no. I'm sorry, Regina. Oh, I, I, I was just going to... you. <laughs> you know, I was, I was going to ask essentially the same question, you know, the, the flexibility. I mean, one of the things at least... You know, when I used to play with Legos was, like, making my own things. I didn't want to just make what was on the package. And if you can't really do that with what you're given, then that kind of limits the whole point of having them. Right, girls? (laughs) Anna, do you like the kind of toys that they have available for girls your age? Some. Some? What do you like about some of them? Those American Girl Dolls, Polly Pockets, Bobbies. And what about some that you don't like? Um, um, I can't really think of any. Oh. <laughs> well, that's not bad. Yeah. What, um, Anna, do you ever, like, uh, borrow your sister's toys at all? Yes. What kinds of their toys do you like to borrow? Legos and... He doesn't really like my toys. Because <laughs> <laughs> he don't have any toys. That's hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be. All you have is a laptop and apps. That is not true. <laughs> okay, tell me one toy that you have in your room. My guitar. That is a... Musical broken instrument. Broken guitar hero guitar. Oh. And you uh-huh. touch it. You never see me when I touch it. <laughs> oh, I see a secret life emerging here. <laughs> a secret guitar hero life. We don't have guitar hero. She just bought the guitar in hopes that we'd get the game. Oh, I see. The 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 pre-order to create the destiny for the game to arrive. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> have you guys played um any of the Lego video games? Yes. We have yes. Lego um, Batman and 
Lego Indiana Jones. And what do you guys think of those games? Those are fun. Yeah. I have Lego Star Wars for the DS. Nice. Yeah, I have I have Lego Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I love those. They're they're really fun games. I think I like Batman better. Batman's fun. Oh my god. Poison Ivy is like really cool. That's my favorite character, Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. Yeah, she's pretty cool. So, I lost track of where we were, Rhonda. <laughs> oh. Well, actually I was getting ready to ask them if um they could use their imaginations and they could create the uh, a, a game world, any game world they wanted, what type of character would they want to be inside of the game world? Um, Rebecca, I'm going to put you on the spot first. Mostly what this question is about is asking about the type of game environment you like to play in and the kind of adventure um, or game gameplay that you'd like to experience. It just you know, if you could pick anything, you would play this type of game. So Rebecca, if you could uh, play any type of character, what do you think that would be? Oh, I mostly um, I mostly like to do sword fighting in. Um, oh. So most likely a sword master. Nice. Yeah. What is it about, about sword sword fighting that you like so much? Uh, it's just, it's just got a lot, it just is a lot more fun than shooting for me, because that's sort of long range, you have to get right in there with your enemy if you're mm-hmm. going to sword fight. Right. Plus, it takes a lot, plus, especially if it's a game where your enemies actually have swords and are fighting back against you, you have to be careful to block all their moves as well. Right. So you have to be anticipating what's coming more than you do when you're in a shooting game and you're fighting from a distance. Yes. All right. Nice. What about you, Ellie? What type of character would you like to play? Character? Yeah, if you could if you could be a character in a game, what would you want to be? Well, what kind of character do you play in Little Big Planets? Well, there's not really, like... A lot of choice? Well, there is. Actually, there's a whole, whole lot of choice. Okay. But I like to make my avatar person look as much like me as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Although, with Little Big Planet, I kind of mixed it up. We have the monster costume pack, so I made myself the Bride of Secula. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> So if you're if you're making an avatar, Ellie, and um, you've got a bunch of choices, and you like to make it as much like yourself as possible, um, what are some of the first things that you want that avatar to look like? Then, what you know, is it hair color or the cl- color of clothes they're wearing? What do you? What is one of your favorite things to put on your avatar? Glasses. Glasses. Very nice. Yeah. Do you get an option for glasses very often? Yeah, actually. Cool. That's good. Definitely. And and you and so you wear glasses, right? Yep. Okay. Okay. I do too. Actually, everybody in our house does. <laughs> oh, well, they can be a lot of fun. My glasses right now are purple, so I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, yeah, none of us have such cool glasses. But <laughs> Anna, uh, Anna, if you could if you could be anybody in a in a game, what, what, who would you want to pretend to be? Any game, I'd probably have to pick Poison Ivy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think she's pretty cool, too. Yeah, me too. 
What is it that you like about Poison Ivy, Anna? Well, first of all, she's very pretty. Second of all, she has tons of um, power and she can jump very high. Uh, yeah. Very good. Cool. Those are all good things to be able to do. Now, we were going to talk a little bit about um, who all they play games with, right? Did we talk about that, Regina? Uh, we just sort of mentioned it. Rebecca said that, um, well, actually, one of the first things Rebecca said was she likes to get to know people by how they play games. Oh, yeah. So I was wondering about, about that, like what you learn about your family or what you learn about your friends and, and different things as you sort of learn how to play and as you're playing with them. Yeah. Who, who all do you play games with, Anna? when you get a chance to play? My sisters, my family, and tons of times with my cousins also. That's pretty neat. So it sort of extends into all your family. Yep. Cool. Is that the same for you, uh, Rebecca and Ellie? Uh, I don't really play with my cousins all that often just because they're so much younger than me. I'm not really interested in the same sort of games that they are. Right. Um, When it comes down to it, I have... One friend, her name is Roxy. Uh, uh, we play a lot of games together, mostly like Dance Dance Revolution and a lot of music oriented games. And and that's the same with you, Ellie. You play with uh, uh, your family. Um. Yeah, I play with my sisters, my cousins, my dad. Mom doesn't really play video games. Um. And I play with some of my friends, but I don't really play with anybody that I don't actually know very nice well thank you girls it's been some thank great you. some great insights from all three of you gaming and and why you like gaming and why it's fun and i'm, I'm hoping that somebody from lego listens to the podcast yeah. for you was there anything in particular anybody wanted to um, to share about games or gaming um, or being um, girl gamers that we didn't touch on? I, do, I don't want to cut anybody off if they have something they want to say. Actually, no, not really. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, girls. Um, see if you can um, get your parents on, and we'll talk to uh, Aaron and Steve. They are right here. Awesome. Excellent. Bye. 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 You're welcome. Steve and Aaron, this is Regina McMinnamy, my host. Hi, Regina. Hi. Thanks for for joining us. Thanks for uh, bringing the girls on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for having them. We were grinning from the other room. (laughs) Answers and their non-answers is the case. (laughs) I thought they did. They did beautifully. (laughs) For the kinds of questions that we were asking them, I think they did a really great job. Oh, thank you for inviting them to be on. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, I, I'm really fascinated with the, the opportunity to get to talk to a, a family that games together, because I think, personally, that gaming is a great way to bring people together. So I want to know from you guys, we've talked, we heard the girls talk a lot about their Legos and some of the video games that they play and the board games that you guys all play together. So what kind of a role does gaming play in your life as a family? <laughs> you guys can fight over who goes first. That's fine. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm just looking at my notes versus Aaron's notes, and I have uh, so I have the Cliff notes. Put that way. <laughs> um, I, uh, gaming is really a part of our regular entertainment regime. To be fair, in our house, 
whether it's a board game or whether it's a computer game or um, or even an outside game. Um, we like to do that together all the time as uh, as we can. Uh, we also we you know do network games with friends as well and uh, and with family. You know, play Black Ops uh, with a buddy or uh, play StarCraft too with uh, friends or, or relatives really. So it's kind of it's everywhere for us. Nice. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a wide variety of free time or pastime entertainments that you could have chosen. Um, you know, why gaming versus, say, you know, movies or something like that? Because Anna asks us every night. <laughs> <laughs> and Anna's the youngest, so she's the one who's, yes, the who brings no. you back to it. Yeah, she's got more energy than any of us combined, I think. She's a powerhouse. So I think that the desire to actually interact uh, together is is pretty key. And oftentimes we'll clamp down on the, on the movie thing because, I mean, I do, because I believe that um, a game has a little bit more value because it requires a little bit of the brain uh, and possibly the reflexes as well. Mm-hmm. So kind of direct it that way as well. Yeah, there's actually been some research that's been showing that, if you're interested. Some some studies that have shown kids that grow up gaming have better and faster reflexes than kids who don't. What about you, Erin? Um, I think for me, the, for me being a home educator, um, I'll come out of the closet and say that. We, we homeschool. Um, I have seen, actually, a lot of benefits just with teaching as well. Um, in particular, I was thinking today of one of my kids who is not a very strong reader and a lot of the material that you just learn in your average kind of school situation requires reading and so gaming has been I think a really helpful way for somebody like her who's not a strong reader yet to still be able to learn um, some of the same information and get some of the same concepts but through playing a game she's not having to read she's just interacting and she's active with it and you know the reading skills will come later and then the textbooks and the workbooks will be there and available but she can still get the same learning benefit um, without having to actually have that that higher developmental skill of, of having to know how to read and also it's been a really good way to kind of sneak some learning in there too <laughs> I think um, Anna in particular came up short when she was thinking of games to play because a lot of the games that she plays involve a lot of school type mm-hmm. learning and we use a lot of games in our school right um, just to kind of help her get over that hump yeah yeah i i think it's it's a it's a good strategy i think to makes it engaging mm-hmm. and and take something like you said that might be more intimidating or more uh difficult to to kind of grasp and come to mm-hmm. they can engage it in a different way I think, too, textbooks can be boring if you look at them all day long. So if you can, you know, throw a game, a board game in there, a card game, a right. computer game. Um, I just got the uh, the Kindle Fire and uploaded some really fun, you know, math and telling time games that um, if you can throw something like that in there, it makes it a lot more interesting. Right. And breaks a day up, too, I would think, too. Yeah. yeah all of, almost all of those games involve... I mean, as far as you want to go, any even games that are not targeted tr- toward education, they're geared towards statistics and mathematics and language. And, and so in, in general, I mean, the old 
the old adage that, you know, those things are going to rot your brains is <laughs> you guys don't hold to that necessarily then. We've had to put some boundaries on it. I will say that. I mean, uh, yeah, Anna is not begging me to play the time-telling game every day. <laughs> she's figured that one out, that that counts as schoolwork. So, you know, she's going to ask me for Webkins or Ratchet and Clank or something like that. Um, but, you know, I'll tell her, play your time-telling game first, <laughs> and then you can play the other one. So, Yeah, well, it's it's kind of difficult right. when they're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> We don't have Grand Theft Auto in the house, by the way, so yeah. there are limitations. <laughs> I can understand that. Well, would you would you say, Steve, that that's that's something that that you take into consideration? So you've got three daughters, and you know the game industry has traditionally been aimed toward young men, young male players. Is that something that you sort of keep in mind as you're introducing your girls to to gaming? what kind of games you're playing and, and what the sort of environment and game culture might show to them? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I typically have taken an approach of, of picking games that are definitely uh, in, the, in the realm of kind of universal acceptability, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you know, we introduced AutoNation. And that's why you know Little Big Planet. Um, some of the games that were, or Civilization is another game I would consider right there in the pretty much acceptable everywhere. Right. Uh, for the the you know the edgy edgy culture pieces, uh, Black Ops is right on the edge. Right. And uh, so yeah, that I take that take that into consideration as well, uh, but. You know, when it comes down to it, it, if it doesn't have a little bit of testosterone in it, I don't usually buy the game. (laughs) Oh, that's only fair. (laughs) Yeah, he's pretty outnumbered here. Yeah. (laughs) We've got to make it so it engages everybody. I mean, at least that seems like it's part of what is working within the family structure for you. Well, I think, too, I'm not very well-versed in a lot of the video games out there, but when I've looked over the girls' shoulders and stuff, the the games that, like, the, they play on their Nintendo DS that I would consider, you know, marketed for girls seem to have very trivial plots. You know, like Rebecca said, you're either shopping or you're horseback riding mm-hmm. or you're putting together an outfit for someone or you're, you're cooking a recipe, which are all good things, and I think you can learn probably a lot through those things but the boy games you're saving the universe and you know you're doing these really uh, you know heroic things yeah Mm -hmm. and um i think if given the choice as far as plot goes i don't want to pick out somebody's outfit i want to save the universe right so um i think maybe our girls have probably gravitated toward that too not that they could articulate it but they kind of see you know i want to do something big right Mm. that's a great way of putting it I don't want to be somebody's personal shopper. <laughs> I want to travel and have adventure. What would you say is um, maybe the most disconcerting thing about the marketing targeted toward girls? And a, a lot of, of course, what we're interested in are the areas of um, science fiction and gaming. But with um, re- neither Regina and I have children, so we're we're not used to walking down the, <laughs> the aisles very often. But w- what would you say, like from a dad's perspective, 
of for future women and from a mom's perspective um, for a future empowered woman what what types of things do you see in marketing that's the most disconcerting oh this is going to be one of those staring competitions between Aaron we wonder what the big pause is Um, I think when I, you know, walk down the toy aisles or the book aisles, um, of course, I've got such a, a range of, of ages. I've got a 14-year-old all the way down to an 8-year-old. But I think that there's a lot of stuff that is um, marketed. How would I best say this? Um, lots of dolls, mm-hmm. um, which I think is great, you know, developing some of the more maternal um, type instincts. But I think that there's a lot of more like the fashion dolls, Um that the clothing is more dressed just to attract the eye rather than, I, I don't know, it just seems to be totally about what's on the surface and the appearance of the surface. Look, you know, this doll comes with five different lipsticks and, you know, three mini skirts and this set of platform heels and um, there's nothing more to it than change the doll's outfit and, you know, you can change this skimpy halter top out for this, you know, fluffy ruffled sweater to go to school. Right. Um, you know, and again, as as compared to as compared to some of the boy toys that seem to just have a little bit more um, weight behind them. You know, this mm-hmm. this guy is a superhero and he's coming to save the world. Well, you know, compare that to the the Barbie doll who's got this year's version of high heeled boots on. Uh, it's like, what's she getting dressed for? Yeah, you know, she's going to go to the ice cream shop with the other Lego girls. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do know what the superheroes are doing, though. They're out there making the difference. So, right. Um, I, I guess I just see that there's a lot more surfacey. It's about your appearance. It's about you know what other people think you look like. Right. Or how you interact socially. And um, and un- unfortunately, I think to some degree, training training young girls and young women to be consumers. I mean, yeah. to, you know, to to buy and to to put value on on that. Act. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we happen to have, again, another child who might re- remain nameless, but she is a collector, so she loves anything that comes with, you know, 38 different pairs of shoes. Mm-hmm. She wants to collect them all. Right. That is very appealing to her, and I just have to, you know, accommodate that to a little degree and then have the voice of reason come in. You can't possibly need 300 pairs of shoes for this doll. <laughs> well, if you ever get them involved in a... a MMO of any kind, uh, they can start digitally collecting things, which take up significantly less room. <laughs> uh, that's just well. enabling it in another realm. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say I was trying to solve the problem. <laughs> just giving alternatives. Yeah. So I've got like eight pairs of shoes, and that's the that's it for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, do you think there's a lot, uh, there are very many venues for introducing girls? But, well, I mean, we've kind of answered the question. Uh, I'm thinking about um, an article re- I read by an author uh, named Bruce Bethke, who uh, started a conversation about, you know, what type of science fiction do we have that we're introducing to our kids growing up so that they gain a love of, of science fiction and, and the science, you know? Um, a lot, if there was any back then, when the era he was talking about, it usually was targeted t- toward boys. Um, do you, 
besides the complete lack of, of putting women in a superhero situation, do you, do you see any other venues for introducing girls to um, science fiction, Steve? Boy, I wish I did. I've been doing my best with my eldest. And uh, so I went through all my classics. I went through Ender's Game. I went through the Foundation series. I went through the Robot series. They were really fantastic in my mind. And, and Rebecca just about fell asleep in Ender's Game, I think is what she said. <laughs> oh. So, uh, oh, so that's I, such a great list. You should get an award for I that. I know. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, I'm. Uh, I, what's interesting is that uh, I think that in terms of Rebecca, and I'm I'm a little disconnected because I'm not such a mythology buff as she is. That she has really just been absorbed, and, and maybe this is her generation into the Percy Jackson series. I was just going to say mm-hmm. that as soon as you said she was into that, I'm like, oh, she must be reading Percy Jackson, which is a great oh. series. She's consumed all that. She's mm-hmm. consumed, uh, you know, all the Harry Potter series as well. So she also she reads like straight up Greek mythology too. She really gets into you know the ages also. And Ellie too. Ellie would like for everyone to know that she is also really into it. <laughs> <laughs> In the other room, she's just doing. <laughs> yeah. So my my only um, my only uh, criticism to that is that when I think about things that have been envisioned by people of the past that were futuristic for them, you know, H.G. Wells right. or something like that, looking to the future, and then they, they write that out in terms of the science fiction pieces of it, those things have come to reality. So I see a huge benefit intellectually about science fiction versus fantasy. That's, I mean, that's maybe my nerdy self coming out, you know, my deep science nerd geek part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have not been successful at translating that yet. There's still time. Yeah. Okay. There, yeah, there's definitely, I didn't, I didn't really get into fantasy until I was in college. So, and now I'm, you know, huge into that. So, so that could be just something that sort of develops later. I, but although, you know, they didn't have Harry Potter or Percy Jackson when I was growing up. So, that might set this, like, plant the seeds for for it to be easier to translate into like the classics later for her. So, yeah, I'm thinking of um, you know the movie The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Trinity was such a strong and, and powerful character mm-hmm. in that that um, you know I think that's why the girls, besides the Catwoman and the Poison Ivy being the only girl characters available in their Lego Batman game, I think they right. see that's a powerful woman, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> I like what she's got going on there. And um, there's a book series that I've just started reading. Um, it's by Stephen Lawhead. And um, the first book in the series is called The Skin Map, and the second one is called The Bone House. And it's about, you know, these ley lines that are kind of like portals to other um, times and other realities that are just kind of all over the place on the world. Um, there's a, a female character in um, that series that at the beginning she was kind of down and out and she was frumpy and she was grouchy and you know really didn't like her life she has really risen to the occasion in this book and um, she knows more than any guy in that story (laughs) at all she has got it figured out how to travel these time portals and um, it's pretty impressive awesome there's finally you know a girl to look up to right yeah 
Now, the, the girls came out and said this, and I think if we were to ask you, Erin, you'd say the same thing, that you'd say you're not a gamer. <laughs> um, does that shock you? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't shock me, but I think that um, I think you would be shocked at what we consider a gamer. Right. So I'm curious as to what, um, what your perspective on that is. Well, <clears throat> I would say that in my situation in life right now, there are so many demands on my time that um, any kind of a long-term game mm-hmm. or anything that's going to require a huge learning curve, like with that, with those console games, I just I look at the remote in my hand and I just get a cold sweat. I have to figure this thing out yeah. before I can even be successful. All these buttons, I'm not interested. I've got to go make dinner. You know, so. <laughs> um, my, I think my attention span for games has gotten a lot shorter. I tend to really like, you know, a quick, you know, a game of Uno before bed or let's play Pit. The idea for me with gaming is to be together as a community, and I don't really want to go geocaching on my own. So if nobody in my family is interested, let's just play a game of Pit. Let's play Hearts, um, Dominoes, you know, let's do something like that. But um, the actual, the video and the console games, I'm not into as much. I think they just require too much mental energy for me right now that I'm not able to give to that. And you don't have any, like games on your phone. Oh dear. <laughs> okay, now Erin really has to come out of the closet. Oh, see, I, I had a feeling Kindle. we were going to catch her somewhere. <laughs> okay, so this Kindle Fire that I had just gotten, um, there's this game called Where's My Water, and yes. oh. and we were going on a really long plane ride, so I thought I need something that's going to engage the non-readers. Is the person I kind of got it for, but I think it was before we even left on our vacation. I had already like finished all the levels. <laughs> Whoa. Uh-huh. We have her. We have her. We got her. She's a gamer. <laughs> um, so I listened to one of your previous podcasts where you talked about some free mobile apps, some mobile uploads. So um, Undecided is now on my phone. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> we played it just the other day to figure out which restaurant we were going to after church. Right on. That's fantastic. We have converts. Yes. <laughs> we had a we had a whole discussion about um, whether there's really a difference between a casual gamer and a hardcore gamer, and mm. we we tend to feel like that the the gaming community the, the the whole community is a whole lot more level and accepting than that because everybody tends to play different types of games. When I'm having to wait at the doctor's office, I cannot play an entire game of, say, Elder Sign. I mean, that thing's like an hour-long game. You don't sit down and just play a level. But I can sit down and pass the time playing Bejeweled. Right. You know, yeah. something like that. And it's very hard to discount that. I think we talked with um, Sandy, Sandy talked um, about Aaron, that, yeah. about, you know, mobile phone apps. That's gaming. Yeah. And I think... We're nat- naturally creative beings. Uh, we're naturally c- curious, and we're naturally social. And I think all of that is gaming. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and and I think we're. I think one of the things that we sort of learn in society that, that we're starting to change a little bit is that, you know, you, when you grow up, you're not supposed to play anymore, you know, play mm-hmm. play as natural at younger ages, but that it should be something that you grow out of, which is why, you know, a lot of people think, you know, people who are gamers are, are avoiding real life or whatnot. When it couldn't really be further from the truth because, you know, the whole point is that 
we can turn everything into a game if we want to. <laughs> That's, yeah, that makes a lot of hard work mm-hmm. much easier to swallow if you make it a game. Exactly, exactly. Well, Regina, did you have anything else? Um, I don't think so. I think we sort of hit on all the main points. Uh, what's your favorite game to play as a family? Like, what what is the thing, like, when you're all going to get together in game, what do you grab? Yeah, we'd probably go for Pit. It's a card game. Oh, I it's, know Pit. I'm very familiar with Pit. But we, we have many different variations we like to try, so we'll play Silent Pit, uh, which is nearly impossible. <laughs> we'll play Pit with a card and, you know, just see what kind of games we can make within the game mm-hmm. see that's I mean that's gaming right there mm-hmm. exactly. is when you you find a game that you like and then you become creative with it mm-hmm. and then you mod that's it cool. you mod it yourself right yeah <laughs> We have about three different pit games floating around the house. Nice. Yeah, the most recent version my friend got d- didn't have the bell, which which all of us who had played it in childhood, you know, loved the slamming of the bell. Um, <laughs> but, so we we ended up one night we were trying to play it and we didn't have a bell substitute, and so um, we put a big spoon in the middle to grab. <laughs> ah, spoon? that became very creative too. <laughs> spoon pit. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many games out there that you can make it your own, and um, yeah. there's you know, there are rule sheets that we've just thrown in the trash and say, ah, we don't like that. We're playing it our own way. Or Steve, every once in a while, when we're playing chess, usually he'll say, oh, I forgot to tell you this, but what I'm about to do is completely legal, and now you've just lost. If <laughs> um, <so>. he <laughs> throws the uh, rules away, I will go to the online <laughs> archive print them out and bring them to the table. (laughs) That's my geek for you, right? (laughs) Well, I sense a bit of mastery player coming from (laughs) from Steve. (laughs) He's kind of, he gets kind of bogged down by, you know, the rules. We don't need rules. (laughs) We don't need no stinking rules. We make No. (laughs) Well, was there anything else that um, you guys wanted to add maybe that we didn't cover on? I mean, as, as, as parents of, of young gaming girls and, and, uh, with and having, a, yeah, having a geek dad, um, I, we don't want to miss anything if there was something you guys wanted to share. I think, you know, as I think about um, the games that, <clears throat> that we have in our house and the games that my girls gravitate toward, I do have, you know, some of my girls, they like the, the occasional fairies and fashion and cooking and pets and glittery things um but they also love a good battle and they love you know engineering design and robots and space travel and science experiments and they love athletics and superheroes and so um for us just i think the purchasing choices that we've made really tend to gravitate toward trying to cover uh, a deeper um need mm-hmm. in our gaming i guess mm-hmm. um to give more of a backbone and, a, and maybe something to springboard off of in their future life as they think about who they want to be as women. Yeah. Um, you don't, I, I just seem to, to not be seeing a lot of that in girls games. It's a lot of pink and fluffy. Yeah. And, and a lot of, like you, like you said, the depth of the story isn't there. Yeah. Like it is yeah, in, so, in some um, of the traditionally, you know, male or masculine oriented games. Yeah, and you know we like pink and we like glitter. If there was pink and glitter with a backbone to it, we probably would, Absolutely. you know, go out and get it. But we've kind of had to um, 
we gravitate more toward the boyish stuff in mm-hmm. some degrees um, than I would ever think you know any of our young men friends would be willing to come play a pink glittery game with us. We right. usually are the ones picking up the guns and you know playing right. with the black and gray Legos to build the spaceship and things like that. Right. So it seems for us it's just easier to go the other way than mm-hmm. to ask someone to, to um, yeah. Hop the fence over to the the girl stuff, <laughs> to the unicorns. It's, yeah. it's usually um, the the games and toys are usually more universal than they appear. When mm-hmm. John and I first got our PlayStation, you, you know, we've got the two black controllers, and I'm like, okay, this is never going to do. And went out and bought a bunch of pink glittery stickers and stuck all over mine. <laughs> and I told him, anytime you have a friend over to play, just give him this one. I said. <laughs> <laughs> you'll you'll have him before the game even starts. He won't be able to handle it. <laughs> your own home your home field advantage. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think um, I, I I you guys were listening as we were talking to the girls. Um, Rebecca said that you know the the main character she'd like to play was a sword fighter, and I mm-hmm. think the fact that you know you're you're almost fourteen year old is is thinking in those terms and and thinking in terms of skill because she said you know it takes a lot more for you to 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 be skillful as a sword fighter than it would in a shooter is already evidence that what you're doing is is having the kind of impact I think you want, and like you said, the adventure and the embracing of powerful you know individualized self she's heading in the right direction so yeah. kudos to you guys definitely well we really really appreciate um anna and ellie and rebecca steve and aaron for joining us today they uh have broken new ground with game on girl we've it's the first time we've had a full family, and it's the first time we've had the um, age group mm-hmm. probably below 18. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so we really appreciate you yes. taking the time out of your, your family time to yes. talk to, to us. Talk to us, right, yeah. um, We'd love for our listeners to chime in on what we discussed today, uh, to share any stories that you have from uh, your children or your gaming uh, experience from a family. We are on Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl. Or you can visit our website at GameOnGirl.com. Email us at Regina at GameOnGirl.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at GameOnGirlPodcast. This is Game On Girl. I'm Regina, here with my co-host Rhonda. This week's Twitter question was... What is your favorite way to apply game strategies to your out-of-game life? And what provoked you to ask that question? Anything in particular? Well, actually, yeah, I did want to give a shout-out to um, a former guest that who has previously been on the show, um, Episode 8, uh, when we talked about gamification and Endorphin Dude. And um, my friend Tony, who's Endorphin Dude, uh, just this past weekend... Uh, reached one of his one of his big goals that he had sort of he talked about on the episode. He ran a hundred miles in uh, thirty hours. <laughs> oh yay, Tony! Yeah, so he got Way the big go. the big achievement and the big uh, the big award. The big I think it was a belt buckle this time that they got for that, and um, you know a hundred mile accomplishment. So he was he was really working. He he had 
attempted it uh, earlier in the year and only made it to 88 miles. And so he really had he really had the hundred sort of set on his mind. And uh, looking at the pictures now, there is one picture that he put up on his. You you can like Tony on Facebook. He's got a page called I Am Endorphin Dude, so you can catch him on Facebook. Um, but uh, he put up some pictures, and he looks amazingly composed after 100 miles. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) I think I would be a wreck. (laughs) He just looked great, except for the picture of the bottom of his feet that showed off the the blisters that he had from running 100 miles (laughs) nonstop, which I have to admit looked absolutely terrifying. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, maybe he shouldn't have posted those. That's kind of a deterrent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I might have got people away from uh, committing to do 100 miles, but I did I did want to congratulate him and let our listeners know that an endorphin dude in his, you know, keeps running. He's, you know, keeps doing it and he still, when he messaged me about it, he's like I played my longest game ever this weekend. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> it really is fantastic. So. And he got a real life medal for Yes, it. exactly. Exactly. So congratulations to Tony aka endorphin dude. How much better would we all work every day if someone would just give us a big belt buckle? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If we all had those goals we were working toward. Mm. Yep. Well, the um, question about gaming strategy in real life, that's actually kind of a tough question because I think it's something that we do a whole lot more unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> there was this week I mentioned to you that I watched this YouTube video uh, put out by Follow the Foot called Games We Play. And it reminded me of this Twitter question. And it, it it's things that we do unconsciously or out of habit, like step on a crack or balancing when you walk on a curb, Mm -hmm. you know, going heel to toe and stuff like that. Right. I think that it's that kind of thing. Melissa Waltzer at Some Rocketeer doesn't believe real gamification can work. She says it would have to be set up and controlled by someone or something else, partly because rewarding yourself for accomplishments isn't the same. If I make my own rules and I'm the one to whom I answer, if I don't reach my goals or accomplish what I set out to, I'm far, far more likely to break those rules or ignore them at my discretion. I mean, setting up super small goals and some kind of reward for them may be feasible, but long term, she doesn't think so. Yeah. And. I mean, she sort of has a point mm-hmm. in, I think, the strictest sense. Right. I mean, when you play a digital game, the, the programming controls rewards and failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and granted, there are cheats and breaks that you can do on a lot of games, but right. we, we know what she's talking about. Right. Well, I and think, yeah. Do you agree? I mean, I think I, it was an interesting it was an interesting point because I hadn't thought about the application of gamification in terms of long-term long-term goals other than, you know, the way I've done it with myself and I, I think I've mentioned before when I was writing the dissertation that I was using the Pomodoro method, which was um, you know, 25 minutes of working on one task, you know, 5-minute break. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, five minute break, or, you know, and then I, you know, I do that with writing a chapter or reading or other different things I was doing to try to finish getting it done. And what I ended up in my mind, what that made for me was instead of looking at my dissertation as this monolithic, gigantic thing I had to, you know, do (laughs) that was sort of 
looming and all-consuming, I could think of it in, in terms of tomatoes. And then at the end of the day, I could count up the number of tomatoes that I had I had done. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I started looking at my dissertation as making salsa. So how much, how many tomatoes did I chop up today? <laughs> and yeah. how much salsa did I make? And how productive was I? And when I could, at the end of the day, said, you know, I had done six tomatoes, which was essentially, you know, three hours worth of hardcore focused work on the dissertation, I could feel like I was progressing. And that was, that was how I, you know, it, it's a, it's a method of gamification of, 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 taking something that might be really big and making it small. So for me, I could see, and that was all self-reward. There was no, you know, external, you know, um, uh, process going on. Nobody else was putting that on me. It was just how I was tracking. Right. Well, and I mean, when it comes right down to it, the any type of discipline that you mm-hmm. want to achieve is is strictly uh, self-controlled. Mm-hmm. It's it's strictly self-rewarded and self-regulated. Exactly. And I think I think to an extent she has a point. Yeah. But there's there's so many factors involved, like mm-hmm. personality. Right. I mean, <clears throat> gamification for me works just fine because I'm an extremely focused mm-hmm. and very disciplined person. Right. So if I set a boundary. I keep it. It's right. just it's just in my nature, right? You know, yeah, yeah. And, to and, do that, yeah. And so taking that step and turning it into a game comes naturally to you because you're you're headed mm-hmm. in that general direction as well, which yeah. you know leads me to to start asking the questions about like how do these apply to to different areas of our lives? Like, you know, I've talked about it with exercise as well, and Tony talked about it with the running, and like I said, with you know the hundred miles being the longest game he had ever played, etc. So so I know that people are using it for, for for uh, exercise, and that's the the feedback we got on Facebook as well. The vast majority of people said that they use it in terms of exercise um, as the, you know their means of gamification. But but again, those are still you know getting yourself to the gym or <laughs> to the yeah. dance studio or whatever it is are still short term goals. So one of the things I'm looking to do at some point, I, I I never seem to have enough time to try to plan this. I wanted to try to gamify a, a class, like have my um, the the grade structure be more. Um, in terms of gamification, where where hmm. the activities the students are doing are building experience points toward you know the end goal for the class, if it's a you know research paper or research project, so it's one of those things, and and so I think that that would be a great sort of long term thing, but that's also yeah. playing into exactly what Melissa was saying in terms of that would be an external coming from me to my students rather right. than them having it as an internal process to motivate them to do stuff, so. Well, I th- I think that it depends on the, and I always think of exceptions to the rule, but <laughs> it, I think it just depends on mm-hmm. how you classify the short term and the long term. Right. For for instance, um, <clears throat> I think on the <clears throat> excuse me in the long term, basically you're just talking about leveling, right? Right. And so if you constantly play level one over and over and over again. Mm-hmm then it's just a situation where you're not accomplishing the task that you're setting out to do right. to make it a, a, a more focused discipline. Right. But for instance, uh, when, when I was trying to get, go to the gym and we have a, a, such a struggle with getting up in the morning to go to the gym and we said, okay, we are going to go to the gym on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And, for the first couple of weeks, because we have so much trouble, it's like recognize what your difficulties are, what your failures are, mm-hmm. and 
tackle those ahead of time. So getting up is a problem, okay? You succeed today if you get up and you go to the gym and you walk through the gym's front doors. Right. That's a huge success for us. Right, yeah. If we got there, it's like, ah, we're here. Yeah. We may as well work out. Right. <clears throat> we did the hard part, you right. know? Yeah, the, the getting to it, the, the, yeah. the motivation to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Even if we got out of bed too late and we got out there and we couldn't work an entire hour, right. we got out of bed. Right, right. And so since you're going to the trouble anyway, you know, why go to the gym and only work 30 minutes? Right. So you, you, we, we began to level to where getting up in the morning wasn't nearly as difficult. Mm-hmm. It became more of, well, I know I'm going to do this. Right, right. And right. so we moved on to the next level kind right. of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, we can look at... Um, at all of our lives and all of our experiences, you know, I think that, you know, I, I remember thinking that when I was, um, when I was first teaching, you know, the, the number of times you, you teach the same class again and again. And I've always said the first time, at least for me, the first time I teach a class, there, there's always a lot of energy I put into it because it's new for me and I'm learning and they're learning and, you know, I'm sort of structuring it around what they, what they need and what's, you know, sort of showing mm-hmm. itself. So there's a special energy that comes from that first time. But then I realized that there's an even, you know, greater energy that ends up coming from me, you know, the fourth or fifth time I teach a class because I've mastered certain uh, aspects yeah, yeah. of what I'm teaching, of, of how I communicate the information and how I'm talking about what I talk about, how I share with them the, the activities. And I remember I was putting a, it, it was a really simple, you know, editing change I made on like an assignment where it, I had had just straight text in like the assignment and it was, it had three very specific parts. And at one point I was looking at it and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just put part one, part two and part three. And I remember that completely changing how I looked at it and then how my students saw it as well. They could see those distinct, you know, pieces of it, which were there in the text, but just not, you know, fleshed out for them quite the same way. But yeah, it, it exactly. took, yeah, it took several times of me giving that assignment to go, okay, I want to, oh, I need to break this down so they can see it the way that I'm conceptualizing it, but I haven't put it on the paper so that they can see. But it took that, that mastery, that experience, those XP points for mm-hmm. me to get to the point where I was like, oh, here's a very simple way for me to make this make more sense for my students. Yeah, you just, you just keep playing that boss exactly. until you beat in, yep. And then you learn something. And actually, the second time you go in on it, mm-hmm. like when I replayed Mass Effect 3 and I went into some of these boss battles that I remembered from the first time that were so tough mm-hmm. and I went through them so much easier, there was there's an, <clears throat> an escalated amount of excitement to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, Missing Chapter also talked about exercise and gamification. Mm -hmm. And again, it's kind of the subtle influences that we recognize. Um, You were talking to Missing Chapter about using the uh, Zombies Run mobile app for running. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of prodded her a little bit, um, she finally kind of noted what she said was, when I use it, I do notice that I can run a little longer each time. I use an unshuffled playlist so that I can start running at specific points in a song, and then I use that to measure how long I can go for. Also, one of the tracks is the courtesy call from Portal 2. The alarm sirens start my run on that track. 
<laughs> so, I mean, that's a that's a very natural and mm-hmm. obvious way of gamification. But when she started that conversation, she was sort of like, nah, mm, eh, it's this isn't not really working, working for me. But yeah. it's obvious it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is definitely um, you know proof of of sort of gamification in action. I mean, Zombies Run is just the ultimate in <laughs> getting gamers to exercise. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's I think that the combination of that with as she said um uh the game soundtrack i mean to to use a game soundtrack and then and have that as as um motivation and uh if you guys remember um missing chapter toria was in um our hardcore versus casual episode and uh she talked in that about how portal and portal 2 were the games that that made her want to be a gamer that and that she had part of the oh, reason yeah. why she had loved it so much was she had fallen in love with that soundtrack so so that that game and that soundtrack you know hold i think and and she can correct me if i'm wrong about this but a special weight for her a special consideration in terms of you know how she sort of considers herself and how she considers herself a gamer and so to have that be something that oh can go from you know mastering the environment in the game to mastering you know an exercising environment is very much taking from from the game into herself and then putting it out into that other part of her life and that is the absolute definition of gamification yeah yeah well we also got a response from uh someone else that we've talked to on twitter before and i'm sorry but i'm going to butcher her name again because uh <laughs> because we, her. i'll have to ask oh, her yeah <laughs> we only communicate through, through twitter and so i've yet to get a pronunciation but you're for now you're shanae J. <laughs> um the uh but she's at ebby 110 and she brought up the idea of philosophical gamification, which I just, I loved her insight. Yeah, me too. <laughs> she said, I take Garris's advice, quote, I like to expect the worst, then there's always a chance I'll be pleasantly surprised, which obviously Garris is a um, um, main character out of Mass yeah. Effect. And this isn't something we've actually talked about specifically, but I love that she noticed this mm-hmm. because games are, are just full of moral dilemmas and choices. And I, I know when I play Mass Effect, I stuck really hard line to a particular moral ideal mm-hmm. that I also, I mean, I also share in real life. Right. But I, I love that she, she pointed that out. It was extremely enlightening. Yeah, well, it, it takes that you know there's a lot of debate about whether video games are art right and 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 whether you know it's it's evolving into this you know um you know we can acknowledge the significance of games but you know are they transcendent and and does it move beyond you know the game itself or or whatever environment and this is a perfect example of exactly how gaming does move beyond that you know it, it just like any other great art form does if it's you know visual art or it's a novel or it's a short story if you take away a lesson or an idea from it that you hadn't experienced before that that's in my mind that's the definition and the importance of any kind of art or significant contribution <laughs> either that right. or taking like i did taking an ideal into the game mm-hmm. and being able to, to act it out to act it out mm-hmm. in a situation where you you know in a real world you might not be able to have any other influence than maybe 
doing volunteer or charity work, right. but you can't actually have a direct hand in applying that ideal. Right. And it was really cool to be able to make the decisions in Mass Effect to say, no, I am right. not going to annihilate this race. Right. I right. refuse. Yeah. You know. And that's that's one of the things that I love about um, Bioware games in general have that kind of um, setup. Yeah. Um, especially the Fallout series that has the karma, the karma meter mm-hmm. <laughs> that literally like, are you good or bad? And your decisions are impacting how that, you know, how that meter moves and then how people perceive you in the world. And, and it's a really good, you know, sort of lesson, you know, that that's really the way it works, you know, <laughs> how right. people are perceiving you in, in your real life are based on your past, your past decisions and choices and all that sort of adds together and leads together and becomes, you know, who who you are. And so, you know, they're really important, you know, little decisions that do impact sort of a a larger picture. Well, it was a tough question this week, but we always learn something new from our listeners. So we so much appreciate you guys giving us feedback. Every week we ask a new question on Twitter and Facebook. Give us your opinion and we might share it on our next episode. You can follow us on Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl. We use the hashtag GOG chat or on Facebook, you can look for us at Game on Girl podcast. You've been listening to Game on Girl. I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. And you can read my tech blog at DroolOnTheFrog.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz, as I'm known on Twitter. Uh, Doc Liz with two Zs. Very, very many thanks to Anna, Ellie, and Rebecca, our gaming girls who were on the show today, and their parents, Aaron and Steve, for coming on and giving us some great insights into what it is to be a modern gaming family. So thank you guys so much for, for coming and talking to us today. Game on Girls available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, gameongirl.com. You can also leave comments and feedback through Twitter at game underscore on underscore girl or email us at regina at gameongirl.com. This podcast is recorded with Audacity and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks for listening and until next time, game on!